There's a lot of interest in making sure that this very important part of our democracy is protected. I'm Eric Wilson, managing partner of Startup Caucus, an investment fund and incubator for Republican campaign technology. Welcome to the Business of Politics show. On this podcast, we bring you into conversation with the entrepreneurs who build best-in-class political businesses, the funders who provide the capital, and the operatives who put it all together to win campaigns. Today, we're speaking with Michael Kaiser, an expert in cybersecurity and privacy. He's the president and CEO of Defending Digital Campaigns, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization that provides access to cybersecurity products, software, and training to campaigns. We discuss the reasons campaigns are targets for cyber attacks, the unique arrangement that allows DDC to provide these services for free, and how to drive cultural change around technology. Michael, before we go any further, what's the one thing that someone listening right now should do to increase their cybersecurity? Secure their most important accounts. This is going to be, you know, whether it's their Gmail, their workspace, their office account, their financial accounts, their social media accounts, they should lock down those logins with the strongest protections that they can. And in our mind, that protection is going to be the use of a FIDO security key, like one from Yubico or a Google Titan key. And if you're using something like Workspace, you're going to use uh, FIDO. Or- what, is that, what does that mean? FIDO is a standard around authentication that is, uh, allows um, companies to use those standards and then be operational you know, across different platforms, right? So these security keys that are FIDO compliant can be used you know, to log into your Google account, can be used to log into a Twitter account or a Facebook account or a Dropbox account, right? Because they all agree to the standard of authentication. Got it. So we don't need to be the janitor of cybersecurity keys having a a giant key ring. No, actually, yeah, great point. No. In fact, one key serves many, many roles, many accounts. Let's say someone's got, you know, like five minutes after they're done listening to this podcast, is it, we can get more into the tools, but it's securing those accounts with the, the, you know, whether that's adding on a stronger password, if they've got a weak password, doing multi-factor if it's just password, then adding a key if they're just multi-factor? Is that kind of the how you think of it is, is, is going up the ladder? Yeah, absolutely. Using the strongest authentication you can on the most critical accounts that you have, right? And, you know, in some cases, it might just be a password. So you should have a really, really good one. And in some cases, you might be able to get all the way to a security key, plus adding on something like Google's advanced protection program on top of that which will give you you the highest protection possible. So I think a lot of our listeners are probably wondering, they don't deal with classified information or state secrets. Um, In fact, probably the most sensitive data that we have access to is polling, and that's only as good as it is in the moment. Um, It certainly has value and we want to protect it. But why are campaigns targets for cyber attacks, especially those who aren't necessarily national campaigns? You have to first start by looking at who are the bad actors that are out um, when you think about why a campaign might be hacked or attacked. So the bad actors in this space are obviously going to be cyber criminals because they're out there for everyone and they're just going to try and steal data and monetize it, right? They're criminals just trying to make money off crime on the internet, right? Um, And they're out there and they're after everyone, maybe not campaign specifically, but they might find their way into your campaign and see that you have a rich data and they steal it and try to monetize it. We have 
obviously in some cases, like you're saying, you know, you indicate like, you know, these might not have classified information and those kinds of things, but they still could become targets of nation states for various reasons, right? And then perhaps a candidate who's an incumbent might serve on a committee that does have access to those things and a nation state might think that a campaign is a route into the candidate themselves or into the candidate's, you know, work accounts in some way, shape or form. So that could make them a target. But nation states are obviously looking to do harm to uh, the United States, to our democracy, want to disrupt what we're doing. And then in this space, of course, we also have to add hacktivists as being, you know, one group of folks. Again, probably similar motives to the nation states in some ways. They want uh, somebody else to prevail, somebody else to win, or they don't want this candidate to win. Um, and they get engaged uh, in the process that way by trying to, again, cause disruption in some way, shape, or form, perhaps stealing data that might embarrass the candidate. And then for understanding here, if you're a vendor in this space, right, you can really be seen as a gateway into campaigns. Yeah, and I think that's a really important part. Um, Bruce Schneer at Harvard, I think, always is the one who taught me about this. But you think about security in terms of a chain. And just because you, the polling consultant or digital agency or communications consultant for a campaign are not on the House Foreign Affairs Committee or the House Armed Services Committee doesn't mean that you're not part of that chain because you're on traffic with a consultant who regularly talks to that elected official. And so for really, really, really motivated nation states and bad actors, they're going to find that weakest link in the chain so they can conceivably become a, a target. Yeah. I mean, that you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, the way we always phrase this is, you know, we're only as strong as the weakest link. Uh, right. And that weak link could be anywhere, could be the vendor, could be someone on the campaign staff, whatever. Um, that weak link creates a vulnerability and that vulnerability is shared by everyone. And that's what the bad actors are probing for. Right. They're looking for the vulnerability. They're looking for the unpatched machine. They're looking for the person with the weak, you know, reusing passwords. They're looking for, you know, ways that they can um, get into anywhere. Right. And use that as a launching pad to get into somewhere else. Right. So. I mean, for the example, I get into a vendor uh, and then I start sending out emails to their clients um, that are phishing emails, perhaps with an attachment with malware or maybe just, you know, to click on a link. But because they look like and actually do come from a hacked account at the vendor, the recipient is more likely to actually click on that or download the thing. Right. So they're, you know, they're always trying to figure out ways to get people to do things that allow them access to other areas of a campaign or a vendor. There are chains within the chains, right? So, you know, I may be one link in a chain to an elected official, but then below me, I've got lots of accounts. So maybe I've been using the same password for my meal delivery service and my main email that I use. And once that delivery service gets compromised, your main email is now compromised. So that's a, a good example of how the chain can just get weaker and weaker as you go go further away. Yeah, no, no question. Um, you know, reusing passwords is one of the biggest no-nos on the internet. <laughs> Full stop. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, I, anyone who's not using a password manager, which we'll talk a little bit more about those tools in just a minute, is causing themselves lots of extra headaches, not to mention making themselves more, more vulnerable. So to that end, defending digital campaigns, you're more than just a think tank, right? Talking about how important this is, you're, you're actually putting hardware and software into campaigns. So walk us through what are some of those tools that you provide and how do they protect users? Yeah, so we really, uh, you know, at DDC, we really focus on the basics, right? We, we think that, you know, basic hygiene uh, is where every campaign should start. Uh, and, you know, back to the sort of the beginning of this conversation, 
you know, implementing the strongest authentication that you can uh, is where we always start with every campaign. And that, uh, like I mentioned earlier, means using something like a FIDO security key, which we can give away for free. We have keys from Yubico and Google that we can give away free to eligible campaigns um, that can get them started uh, on really increasing the protection of those core accounts. Uh, so that's one tool that we have, and it's really around that most basic and important aspect uh, of the way people uh, use technology, right? Because we're always logging into accounts all day long. Um, that's what we do, right? We also have a free password manager from LastPass. We well, we can talk about password managers a little bit more as well, but you know, password managers are really important because they help overcome our natural condition of humans, which is our difficulty in both creating and remembering long, strong, and unique passwords for multiple accounts, right? It's just not something that humans are generally good at. Um, and password managers uh, take that burden off of you. We also have website protection through Cloudflare that protects that valuable asset of campaigns. I think sometimes they get forgotten about because a lot of web development is not done in the campaign itself, right? It's done by a third-party vendor who's developing these websites, but securing that website, making sure that it can't be defaced, um, protecting it from distributed denial of service attacks, which are just basically flooding the zone and taking down the website so that no one can get access to it. Those kinds of things are, are where we have our tools. And that's what we focus on, kind of the basics for every campaign. And so I want to go on a tangent here, Michael, because Defending Digital Campaigns provides these services for free. Thanks to a pretty interesting exception from the Federal Elections Commission. It's really interesting because it's it's like one of a kind. Um, you're the only ones who have access to this. Walk us through what happened there, how that's possible. Yeah. So, you know, it really goes back to some work that was started to be done after 2016, which we all know there were some pretty high level cybersecurity incidents during that presidential race. And some folks got I had together. My, my data was compromised in that campaign uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then I think that that was probably the eye opening moment for cybersecurity for this sector 2016. I'm sure other people were thinking about it before, but that's when it came public, right? And people were like, like, oh my gosh, this could happen. And, you know, look what could happen to a, you know, in the, to our political process, right? So some folks got together uh, at Harvard. We're not affiliated with Harvard, but uh, the, the germ of this idea came out of there. And this included campaign veterans, you know, folks like your listeners would know, like Matt Rhodes, right? Who had uh, been Mitt Romney's campaign manager others uh, from industry and government, and it was bipartisan. And they looked at election security and campaign cybersecurity, they developed this really great cybersecurity playbook for campaigns. But coming out of that, you know, the campaign folks were like, okay, wait a second, this is great. We got this playbook. We're telling people, go get cybersecurity products. And the campaign veterans are like, yeah, no one's going to spend money on this stuff. Um, I mean, it's just not a priority, right? I mean, do we really want them buying security products or doing the part of their work, which is getting out in their community and, you know, maybe buying a radio ad instead of buying a security key? So they got together with a couple of law firms, uh, a Republican law firm, a Democratic law firm, and went to the Federal Election Commission and basically said, look, this is a kind of critical and somewhat of an emergency. Our democracy is at risk. Cybersecurity is incredibly important for these organizations. They're not likely to spend money on these services. And it's complicated for companies to donate directly to campaigns, right? It raises a lot of other issues when companies want to donate directly to campaigns. So we think that there should be a way for campaigns to get cybersecurity products and services for free through a donation that doesn't count as a contribution. And we think the way to do it is through an organization like DDC. 
Now, I'm giving you the short version. Obviously, it took longer for that to happen. The FEC does not <laughs> move that quickly. Yes, right. You know, um, only on a 30-minute TV program would it happen that way, right? Um, well, and, which no uh, one would watch, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sort of. Well, you know, it's like the classic law and order approach, right? Uh, you know, um, only would that happen. And, right, the FEC eventually agreed and DDC was stood up to be the intermediary between companies that want to donate cybersecurity products and services to campaigns. And we uh, help facilitate those donations to happen. They don't get reported by the campaign to the FEC, although we do report all the donations we get, both financial and product-wise, on our website. So we have a lot of transparency about, you know, the not who's getting the products on the campaigns, but the value of the products that are being donated generally to the campaign space. And I think it's um, a really interesting case study in, in how uh, certain well, well, it's a, it's an interesting case study in how regulations are getting updated, because you know previously you wouldn't have had anything like this because it would count as a illegal in kind contribution from a corporation. And it's interesting to see that the FEC, yes, can innovate and evolve. You're listening to the Business of Politics show. I'm speaking with Michael Kaiser, CEO of Defending Digital Campaigns. Michael, it uh, seems like making these tools available for free cuts into the bottom line for your vendors and may undercut for customers the value they bring. What's the business strategy from your partners behind giving these products for free? It's a great question. It's an interesting question. I think, you know, to answer that, you have to look a little bit at cybersecurity as an industry uh, in a larger sense, right? So I, I've been in cybersecurity since 2008, right? Only in the last, you know, and I couldn't even put a time frame on it, but let's say the last five years, maybe maybe a little bit longer, has cybersecurity become a huge industry, right? I mean, there were no cybersecurity companies, you know, back in 2005, right? There were very little going into this space. And now there's a lot of innovation um, and there's a lot of startups. But when you look at who creates these startups, a lot of these are people who came out of government, maybe the military or law enforcement. Uh, and they came into the cybersecurity space, however they got into it initially, uh, but in those initial ways they were working, they were concerned about protecting people, right? That, that's the goal of cybersecurity. If you work in cybersecurity in a company, you know, you're not just about making money. Obviously, making money is what you do, you know, your bottom line, and that's important. But you probably came to it with a sense of how important it is to protect our economy, protect companies, protect people, obviously, in this case, protect the democracy. So there's a lot of interest in making sure that this very important part of our democracy is protected. So there's a lot of altruism towards this from the cybersecurity community because it's what they do anyway, right? So that's one uh, one way that uh, I talk to a lot of people who are just like, yeah, it's the right thing to do kind of thing. Um, on the other hand, you know, some of the companies that we work with, the larger ones, right? Um, it's their platforms that this is all sitting on, right? And, and, and they want to make sure, right, that their platforms aren't being used in nefarious ways, right? It's it's in their interest, maybe, you know, maybe it costs them a little bit, you know, to give away a you know a key or to provide some kind of service. But the democracy is right, you know, if you're Google or you're Microsoft, you know, these campaigns are sitting on these platforms and it's in their interest to make sure that they're as secure as possible. So I think there's a lot of interest in making sure that happens. And the money is significant, but it's not tremendous for some of these companies. And you know, we try to spread it around as much as we can. So with all of these steps that you've got, you, you need to get a key, you have password managers, you set up your multi-factor, you need to add additional services to your website. 
and this is all to make the the applications and tools that we use every day more secure. Why aren't they just built that way from the start? Well, that's an excellent question, an existential question for the cybersecurity community from my perspective. Um, I would love to see more of that. I would love to see more security that comes that you don't have to opt into, right? So a lot of these platforms have strong security built in, but you must turn it on. And I think- It just we, takes you know, a lot of work, yeah. It takes a lot of work. And I think, you know, I think there we're seeing some turns uh, in the right direction. I just think there's always been a little resistance to, you know, just turning on security wherever that security might create a little friction down the line, right? And so where which might frustrate users, right? Might prevent them from doing something that they wanted to do or that they normally do. And now they can't do it because you've turned on security in a certain way. Like an example might be, you know, you limit the number of extensions that your team can use in workspace. And so your favorite extension isn't on that list and you can no longer use it. That can cause friction and no one wants their, you know, their customers to be unhappy with the product that they're using. But I think we're starting to see some shifts in that direction. I think we're starting to see, you know, and, and everybody on uh, listening probably has, you know, experienced some of this. You know, you didn't sign up for MFA with this account. But all of a sudden, you know, you go to do something on your bank and they say, we want to send you an SMS text, right, before we'll let you go through with it. Those kinds of things. Um, more forced MFA, like even Google's been talking a lot now about, you know, forcing people, not forcing people, but just have an MFA coming turned on. We're going to see more of this. Um, and we certainly advocate for this incredibly strongly, especially in this sector, you know, for things to come turned on. Microsoft has their Office 365 for uh, campaigns, which comes with uh, some pre-configured uh, security, their best advice uh, on that platform. I think it's a lot like the way the automotive industry was in rolling out technology and, and safety, right? Seatbelts used to be a luxury option or something that you could install with a kit. Same thing with airbags. That was a luxury option. Now they're frankly mandatory in 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 cars that drive in the United States. So I think um, that's a good model for how it started out as, as something that we know was good um, and is now just built into the the product itself. Yeah, you know, I think that's a good that's a great point. And I think, you know, the know it's good, I think sometimes it takes time to know what's really good, right? So seatbelts are a great example. They rolled out. I mean, everybody assumed they're safer, but now we know we know how much safer they are, right? And so there's no question. Uh, about how you know how much safety and how much security a seatbelt provides you and protection in an accident, an airbag, even more than that. You have to look at cybersecurity as a maturing industry and being able to codify some of the stuff and to show people and to prove that it actually does prevent things from happening is one of the you know pieces of information that's vital, I think, for some people in order to get them to accept it. I think the other thing that's tough is that cybersecurity is a cat and mouse game because every time we plug up a hole, bad actors are going to find a new exploit. And um, every time a system changes, that opens potential routes. It's not like we've got new challenges coming out on the roadway um, or, or laws of physics shifting every so often. Well, yeah, I mean, security by design, which is what a lot of people promote, you know, is really the gold standard here in some ways, right? Like, why isn't it secure? Why, isn't this, why does the software have vulnerabilities to start out with? But I think we also have to remember in this space, and that's probably true for cars too, because cars get recalled all the time. As smart as we are, as good as we are, what we do, all these systems are created by people and people aren't perfect. So um, I think there's always going to be some vulnerabilities out there. It's hard to eliminate every single one, but we have to keep plugging away at it and working at it and making it better and better 
um, as we go along. And I think, you know, I have a kind of a long view on some of this stuff, and I can see how much more secure things are today than they were even 10 years ago, right? Um, so, you know, we yeah, are- well, SSL right- wasn't even standard um, when I started building campaign websites. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and so, you know, and that actually comes about through some bold moves, right? Like Google finally saying, unless you're HTTPS, you know, we're going to drop you down in the search findings, right? Well, that's an incentive right there for most people to like upgrade um, and get what they need to get done. So I think it, it takes some leadership too in various places to make this happen. With Startup Caucus, I always tell people that our challenges aren't necessarily financial or technological, but really come down to culture. And so we're trying to change the culture of technology adoption on the right I'm curious to hear what you've learned from your experience over these last couple of years of how do you drive cultural change in this industry? Back to my previous statement, I think it takes some leadership. I mean, it takes some people who are willing to say cybersecurity is really important to our sector. If you look at cybersecurity the way I like to look at it, which is not a hindrance or a block, but uh, something that enables you to do more. People want tech in this sector, right? I mean, there's so much data, there's so much happening in digital, in advertising. Campaigns are using mostly third parties to get a lot of their work done, which requires a lot of tech. If you take the point of view that cybersecurity makes all those things a little easier to use in a way with a little more trust in using them, then it becomes a fundamental piece of what you're doing. That's the culture that you want, where you know you want uh, the vendors into this space kind of saying to the clients, your data is really important to us. We want to protect your data. We want to protect your donors. We want to protect your constituents. We want to protect all the things that you have within your realm. Um, and this is how we do it for you. And we think this is important to your organization or your campaign in this space, right? And you want the campaign speaking to their vendors saying, Security is really important to us, right? We're about to share some incredibly sensitive things with you, and we want to make sure that you're doing it well, right? So you need to build that kind of communication. And I think it takes some leadership of folks in the sector speaking out and telling people this is really important and legitimizing the investment and time and energy in it to make it happen. Well, Michael, you talk to a lot of campaigns. And so I'm going to ask you the question we ask every guest on the podcast. What's a problem or challenge that you've noticed that would make for a good startup? Yeah, I think, you know, in in this space, this is um, an interesting question, right? Because you have a lot of people developing, uh, you know, different kinds of tools, and they're all geared towards, obviously, campaigns winning, right? Which is, you know, makes 100% common sense, right? (laughs) Um, Because that's really the whole point of the space. So, um, but if you think broader, you know, maybe there's a way, an opportunity out there for someone to build, you know, um, a security vendor that is trusted in this space, because it's really trust is very, very important in the campaign and political space that is working towards helping rise all ships as the tide comes in, in security. So providing security across the sector in a lot of different ways that then is recognizable to folks as they're working in the space. It's recognized that this organization or this group, this company is building the security. They're our security vendor to our data program. And people are like, yeah, that's a great idea. That's good. We know them. We trust them. If they're doing it, you know, it's not like a seal of approval necessarily, but maybe semi. So there may be some opportunity there. Well, my thanks to Michael for joining us today. Go to defendcampaigns.org right now. Stop what you're doing. Um, If you're driving, wait till you get somewhere safe. But go to defendcampaigns.org right now uh, to find out the free cybersecurity tools that they can get for your campaign. There is no reason not to take advantage of this. It's free. It doesn't take that much of your time. And it's not just stuff to make you more secure. There there are platforms like Cloudflare, 
that will help you um, with your website load faster, uh, rank higher on Google. So it really just behooves you to take advantage of this stuff that's out there for free. So that's at defendcampaigns.org. Remember to subscribe to the Business and Politics Show wherever you listen to podcasts and share this episode with a friend if it made you smarter. Might I suggest you share it with your friend who reuses their passwords for every service they have. We'll see you next time.